what sort of variability do you find in the individual performance of members of your team in that type of environment? Is it, hey, we got such a great process, we can throw anybody in there and they'll do okay? Or no, we need to have a certain type person that can succeed within this process? I would say a little bit of both. The process is large and can be a little cumbersome if you're coming from outside the industry or outside of such a robust process. It's not that anybody can follow it. Yes, anybody can follow the steps, but you still need the right person to do the sales. And that relies on the sales managers finding the right hunter-gatherer type and then coaching them along the stages so that way they understand why the process is there. Hey friends, welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Ben Cohen. Ben's the head of sales excellence and marketing for North America and South America for Hella. That's a $10 billion German enterprise serving the automotive industry worldwide. And Ben's joining me today on Sales Enablement, episode 779, to talk about how to effectively transition major account sellers who historically have nurtured critical strategic relationships with face-to-face selling how to transition those sellers to virtual and remote sellers. And we'll dig into how Ben and Hella define sales excellence and how to measure success in that role. All this and much, much more coming up. But before we get to Ben, I want to let you know that the whole team of people who work to produce this podcast are incredibly grateful for all of you who support us by listening to the show, telling your friends, sharing it on social media, and most importantly, subscribing to the show and giving us your feedback in the form of a rating and a review. If you haven't already connected with me on LinkedIn, please do, because that's where I'm having a lot of conversations about sales these days. And if you go there as well, you can drop me a message if you have a question about anything we discuss on this program, and I'll make sure I get back to you. So thank you for that. All right, let's jump into it with Ben. Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Andy. It's a pleasure. So uh, tell us where you're hunkered down for the duration. Right now, I'm in my house in uh, Chelsea, Michigan, which is just a little west of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Yeah, very, very nice. Um, hopefully, you're not uh, like season ticket holders for University of Michigan football this fall. We're actually Michigan State fans, so... Um, oh! Yeah, sorry. that's okay. okay. Go green. <laughs> Go Spartans. <laughs> All right. Yeah, my, my high school were Spartans. Uh, okay. So... Um, Tell us a little bit about Hella and and interesting company, a very, I don't know, company just so big, but one of these companies that's so big, but you've never heard of before, at least I'd never heard of before. Uh, but yeah, we probably encounter your products all over the place. Sure. So don't feel bad. Um, before I worked at Hella, I didn't know Hella either. But <laughs> Hella is one of the leading suppliers in the automotive industry. And we make everything from all different sorts of lighting, which we're most known for. So headlamps, rear lamps, tail lamps, interior lights. If it lights up in your car, we're probably involved in it in some mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. And then we also have our electronics division where we make all sorts of different sensors. Uh, motor position sensors. We have uh, electrification um, products to be able to use um, to go into more battery electric vehicles. We have Mm -hmm. actuators. We have all sorts of different products. So that's the biggest uh, part of the company. And then um, we also have an aftermarket and special applications division. So aftermarket meaning like auto parts stores and so on? Exactly. So we sell uh, parts for the aftermarket. Got it. Got it. 
And are they labeled Hella or are they under some other? They're labeled Hella. So most people in the U.S. know us for the rally lights, actually, uh, that because they can say Hella on them. Um, and, oh, <laughs> okay. that's, But when we make it for, you know, a GM, a BMW, a Daimler, obviously uh, they're not going to let their headlamp say Hella on it. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> okay. I don't have rally lamps on my car. So, um, yeah. Uh, so it's a pretty big company I mean, it's like seven billion euros correct wow so how many employees it's about forty thousand worldwide forty thousand worldwide and publicly owned privately owned it is um mostly still owned by the original family um but is traded on the german stock exchange got it okay yeah i was trying to figure that when i was looking at the website so how do you sell these products then? i mean so your job is your if I remember correctly, is in charge of sales excellence for the Americas. Um, so how do you sell your products? Sure. So in my role as uh, head of sales excellence and marketing, uh, I basically help tell the story, help with the processes, the tools, and the support for the sales team. Mm-hmm. This, the sales team has the interesting uh, job of trying to sell products into the OEMs, so the GM, mm-hmm. Ford, FCA, mm-hmm. and either through established connections um, and or the OEMs actually come to Hella as a known supplier sometimes and say, we need X, what do you have? Or what's your proposal? And it's a it's always a two-way street. Um, it's not your, your typical cold calling or things like that, but it is a lot of maneuvering around, finding the right people, the right way to talk to them, whether they be in sales or in engineering, and just always being able to find your way in to the right person to excite them about your product. And potentially somebody that has a, a project coming up or something that you're aware of that you could be of service to. Yeah, of course. So we're always watching the market to know what vehicles are coming up within a, a pretty good accuracy. And then we'd be able to provide our services and our technologies based on what's coming up, what consumers are asking for, how we can help reduce costs, you know, all the typical USPs that you mm-hmm. want to have. And given that you're selling to such large accounts, do you have like account teams, you know, account team for Ford, account team for GM, account Ford for Daimler? I mean, how do you how do you organize that? Exactly. So we we are customer focused. We really try and be customer centric. So the the selling teams are set up by uh, the different customer groups all around the world, and then within that, they break it down by different product groups. Okay. So in the U.S., roughly how many sales salespeople are that you have? In the U.S., uh, roughly about 35. 35. And I imagine they're mostly in the field. I mean, so this has to have been sort of a transition for them in this whole work-for-home environment. So it's been a transition, I think, not only for them, but for, uh, also for their managers and some of the other executives actually seeing that work from home is possible. And we are able still to connect. We are able to still maintain those connections, those deals. Uh, even though the plants have shut down and you know no one's making anything right now, they're mm-hmm. still planning for projects that are coming two years from now. So our sales team has been working uh, even harder, I would say, now than they were before. Um, but they are able to do this remotely and it's been a really interesting time and a, a quick change that they had to make, and they've done a really amazing job at it. 
So walk us through that. So what were some of the transitions they had to make? Obviously, you know, it's a big change when you can't go and meet face-to-face and go wander the hallways at your clients, and as which I'm sure they were doing, right? Working in big accounts. You know, I know the people I need to go see and touch bases with them. So how are they doing that now? So the way they've been able to change is, you know, obviously using technology to connect with people. But it's not only the connection uh, with the customers because they're used to doing phone calls when they had to or whatever, you know, a team's meeting or whatever it might be. The, The biggest transition now is that they're not sitting next to each other, learning from each other, hearing the story from each other, um, aligning with the engineer and you know within the company. Mm-hmm. So the the internal collaboration, I would say, has probably become the most difficult transition, but also has really had the greatest benefit, long term benefits to the company because we've we're we have become and are becoming better at internal collaboration, mainly through a tool. Uh, we use Microsoft Teams. Right. Has, re- has really allowed people to stay in contact with each other, have quick alignment meetings and things like that. Yeah, the point you made before is, is if they're like, my experience with most people these days is they've actually <laughs> more than filled their days <laughs> with Zoom meetings. You know, the small meetings you used to find somebody to you know run somebody in the hallway and suddenly becomes a, an item on your calendar. Right, and now they're able to you know figure out their calendar a little bit better. You know, working from home I think has also allowed people to be more organized in a way because you don't have as much interruptions. You can schedule your day. A little easier, of course. There's always going to be the you know five alarm fire that happens, but for the most part, you can be a little bit more scheduled on what works best for you. So if you are that person who wakes up a little earlier, well, you can just start working a little earlier. And if you're that person that you're always showing up to the office ten minutes late because you wake up late, well, now you don't have to drive, so it kind of evens out as well. But imagine somewhat in in your business in trying to get design wins that your, your team is, is searching for is that there was a fair amount of presentation activity that went on. And interesting how your team feels about sort of the effectiveness of their presentations in a remote setting. Uh, because there's, there's uh, things being written now, you know, a couple months in about, well, you know, buyers are reacting differently and they buy differently remotely than perhaps they did when you're meeting with them in person. And the presentation being one one key element of that. Yeah, and I think uh, now I'll put on my marketing hat for a second. And this is something we look really closely at throughout the year, but especially in this uh, corona phase and post-corona is how do we do presentations better? How do we get to the point a lot quicker? How do we hit the messaging uh, that that specific buyer wants to hear. So not necessarily having a one presentation fits all, but making sure that we have the messages that the people want to hear. I think also in this time, uh, the the relationships that you set up previously are really coming through um, for you if you had done it right. And a lot of times people sometimes think that in B2B, okay, it's business to business, but you have to remember that hu- human elements when you're mm-hmm. in B2B, you're still talking to people. People are the ones making those final decisions. We don't yet have uh, AI doing the purchasing decisions for us. So the relationships <laughs> are important. Well, I think even in that environment, I would still contend the human relationships will become more important. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, I think the AI buying experience is going to be largely, or you have selling experience, whichever way we want to look at it, 
largely undifferentiated. <laughs> and so people will still make the difference. Yeah, because so someone still will have to evaluate it. You know, maybe AI can get it you know, 80% of the way there based on different criteria that you put in. But if you helped someone out before, they remember that. And, and this is what counts. Well, to that point is, what sort of continuity have you had in your sales team? I mean, selling into these large accounts, are, are your people, you know, average tenure, five years, 10 years, I mean, they know those accounts inside out? In the sales team, it, it ranges, but across Hella, the tenure stays pretty long. Um, mm-hmm. People at Hella tend to stay at Hella a really long time, not only because of the in, they're excited about the industry, but we just do really cool things that you can't you know get your hands on elsewhere. So then we get to know the technologies really well. We know the industry really well. Um, you may not stay on the GM team forever. You might move maybe to Ford or you know sure. maybe have an opportunity overseas. And there's a lot of and that's what Hello allows you to do. Being such a big company is to have the collaboration and the abilities to do things throughout the company and the world. Yeah, well, it's a real change from sort of transactional selling that a lot of people know about. Even some complex products, you know, will appear somewhat transactional compared to the the length of relationships and the ongoing sort of renewal of relationships that you have with new products and new new projects that you can work on the customer with. I think I I think I don't know. I sort of get the impression that more and more sellers are sort of seeking that these days. Is that you can really get deep into an account and. Uh, get to know them and build these connections and these relationships you talked about. And that, to me, is I found in my career, because I'm selling a lot of uh, opportunities like that, is part of the job satisfaction. I think that's the fun of it, too. I mean, yes, it's fun to close that big deal, but ultimately, when you're selling something, you're trying to help somebody out. And if you can help not only the company you're selling to, but also their customers, you know, that's the fun part. And when you work at a company uh, such as Hella, you know, you, you're not only helping, you know, someone sell a car, but you're helping that person who's driving the car. And then when you're out with your friends, not thinking about work, you go, oh, yeah, that, that car, I know exactly what's in that. I know how we helped. I know, oh, did you know you could do this with that car? And to really see it out there live and how it actually impacts people's lives. This is fun. Uh, versus just you know sending over a contract and you know you bought a property or something like that. Yeah, or yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, so I mean, obviously, COVID must have the shutdown of the plants must have affected your your pipeline in the near term, I imagine. Um, so, what are your sellers doing to adjust to that? So, for right now, the automotive industry is actually um, a unique selling thing. So, when you close on business, mm-hmm. that that business actually isn't coming in for another two years. There's a whole, mm. you you win the business, the car isn't being made for another two years-ish. So, so during those two years, there's all this development and change management and a lot of right. things leading up to it. So we have a lot of current projects that are still running. We have new, pro, you know, we know there's new vehicles coming in years to come. Um, so the sales team is able to still be selling a lot and dealing with all the change management for those deals that are, years out for the revenue that's coming in today uh right now it's a little wait and see of how uh, the plants reopen and then how we can support our customers the best way as soon as possible yeah yeah interesting it's 
Yeah, I was just thinking about that because a lot of times big deals is you maybe you uh, contracts on a milestone basis as opposed to purely just on unit delivery. Um, and do you have those types of contracts where you have some sort of built-in front-end engineering that that you know sort of paying the bills to start shipping? There's uh, there's different yeah you know, there's different milestones along the way you know a lot of tooling has to happen um, a lot of engineering change has to happen so there's some things that kind of just keep you going until you actually start delivering the parts and that's when mm-hmm. you're really making the money. So your job as head of sales excellence, which I think is greatly aspirational, I love it. Um, <laughs> is so what's your charter in that that role? From the sales excellence perspective. From the sales excellence side, it is to do everything possible to make a sales job better. And that that's not only to help them sell more, it's to make sure that uh, the data that they input and um, collect for the company is better for the entire supply chain within the company. So we do everything to support with process, tools, and physical support of the sales team. So give us examples of some specifics. Sure. So uh, literally our department is in charge of the processes uh, that govern how sales works to make sure that we have consistency throughout the entire globe of how the sales team works to make sure that data integrity is good. So when the salesperson does close this deal and it's not really happening for another two years, that the people in the logistics and the operation side of things can do their planning properly based on the input that we've put in two years prior. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the tool side, um, our biggest one would be using Salesforce, which is what we use for our CRM. And right. we not only use it for our CRM, we use it as a planning tool. We um, we are the team behind it, along with our IT team, who has incorporated into uh, older legacy systems uh, that we can now, you know, use the benefits of the cloud and we can use automation to make people's lives easier. And then we also have uh, teams um, around the world that then help our sales team input some of that data, um, maintaining some of those opportunities and making sure the data integrity, again, stays as clean as possible. Well, when you're saying input the data i mean physically inputting i mean the salesperson goes on a sales call or sales team goes on a sales call and come back and your team not them but somebody else inputs it into salesforce what happened it's a bit of a shared experience so as the opportunity is rolling the salesperson is the one inputting into the crm uh, because they have all the information right at their fingertips they're writing their meeting minutes uh they're you know gathering the information of the deal after something has actually been awarded, uh, our teams help you know change the data in all the different systems that we have in Hello to maintain the correct pricing as different milestones are hit, uh, different planning materials, um, when invoices should hit, and things like that. So more like a sales operations team. Exactly, sales excellence is really is sales ops. Okay, so you're not responsible for, in this role, for training or other enablement activities, or do you handle those as well? We handle that as well. So um, we, if we roll out something new, we do training. Uh, we, we do do initiatives um, that we then uh, bring to the sales team, and we're constantly working with the sales leaders on what's needed, how can we improve, how do we make their lives easier, how do we make Hella's life better so it's a lot of sales is my biggest customer Mm -hmm. 
Well, yeah, with that title, I'd hope so. So, (laughs) (laughs) So what sort of regular training, and especially let's let's put in the context of what's happening right now is is you know have you had to change your messaging your go to market messaging at all it doesn't really sound like it since you're dealing with such long time frames with the deals but i was wondering if you've had to tweak that some in terms of you know how you approach your customers the the messaging behind uh, how we're going to everyone hasn't changed dramatically because we're still uh we're still doing the same things that we were doing before. We're just doing it in a slightly different way. The mm-hmm. way the messaging will change is based on how the market changes and how we make sure that our products are fitting. So whenever um, you know sales is getting ready for, if it's like a big meeting where they're going to do a discovery or something like that, um, we always try and help either from the marketing or sales excellence side and see how we can help craft that message, help tell this, help them tell the story, you know, in the best way. Uh, obviously they know the customer better and the engineers know the product better. And then we can kind of be the sparring partner in the middle. Mm-hmm. So how do you, how do you uh, measure success in sales excellence? Dashboards. <laughs> of course, dashboards. <laughs> but I mean, uh, yeah. specific, specific things that that you're looking at and saying, you know, based the the reflect you know training or coaching or you know some other aspect of enablement um, to say, yeah, we're we're on track. We're you know we're enabling the team to to do what they need to do. Or you know, what are the specific KPIs? I guess you're looking at. So um, at the beginning of every fiscal year, you know, obviously we set up what our main targets are for the year. And a lot of them do have to revolve around data and mm-hmm. data integrity because planning is such an important part in a supply chain. So if we're not entering in the right data, um, it really hurts the company in the long run. So we have KPIs based around a lot of different data inputs. We have KPIs based along how well are we actually following the processes that we set up? Because not only does it tell us, okay, are we following the processes? Do we need to train people on it? But is there a problem in the process? And do we need to you know, go back and reflect and you know, be agile about this, and constantly be reviewing things to see how do we make the process better. And by process, you're talking about your sales process, correct? And so, what are sort of the the key elements and stages of your sales process? Yeah, you because know, you have this long, you said long lead time, um, and how are you monitoring that? So it's mostly monitored actually through our Salesforce. So. Mm-hmm. We've been able to use Salesforce to um, to be able to implement our documented processes to be able to have that in the system. So when a salesperson is actually going through their opportunity, we don't let them really deviate too much from the process um, because they're prompted. They have to hit different checkpoints to get to the next stage and mm-hmm. move move along. So this is really helping with the governance. Do things happen? Are there exceptions? Yes, of course. But the exceptions are what help us learn and see, um, you know, do we need to make changes? And then in addition to that, we always have a group of what we call the key users. And basically every account has assigned one key user that works with our team that when we have a something new to roll out or a new idea or a new way to do something, they're kind of our sparring partner within sales to tell us, 
yes, this is a this is a good idea, or you guys are crazy, this is never going to work, and here's why, and then we can go back and retool. And, well, one thing thought that sort of sprung to mind is, so when you have such a, a well-documented process, and you said you have gates in there, certain things have to happen before you can migrate from one stage to the next and so on is what sort of variability do you find in the individual performance of members of your team in that type of environment i mean is the is it hey we got such a great process we can throw anybody in there or and they'll do okay or no we need to have a certain type person that can succeed within this process I would say a little bit of both. Um, the process is large and can be a little cumbersome if you're coming from outside the industry or uh, outside of such a robust process. But once you get it and you follow it, uh, really, it's not that anybody could follow it. Yes, anybody can follow the steps, but you still need the right person to still do the sales. Um, so, and that relies on the sales managers finding, you know, the right hunter gatherer type, finding, you know, and then coaching them along the stages. So that way they understand why the process is there, not just that it, hey, you have to do X before you can do Y. It's why you have to do X before you can do Y and how it sets things up later down the road. So it does involve uh, the training and the understanding of the why and not just the how. Well, in that, and you raised an interesting point. So, in in this large account environment that you're dealing in, where you're sort of, to some degree, piggyback, piggybacking off of existing relationships to find new opportunities within that account. Yes, yeah, sort of interesting. The profile you talked about, you know, finding hunter gatherers and so on, is is what is that profile you're you're looking at? Because um, you know, in a lot of cases now, companies, yeah, we. Goes to account management or program management or you know people that are not necessarily their classic hunter uh, profiles. What do you guys sort of look for? Well, you need a good mix of both, right? You need the people who are you know biz dev experts who are good at getting the foot in the door, opening up the new doors that didn't exist before, and showing the you know the new products, uh, continuing on programs. And you always need a fair amount of those guys and girls because they're the ones who keep the business growing. On the other side, you also need the people who are good at just the account management and keeping things alive, especially in a program that starts two years after you've won the deal, then could run for another you know, six years of the car mm-hmm. being made. You're talking about such a lifespan that someone really has to know what's going on. So you really, we really do look for uh, the mix of both, the, the people who are going to go out and get it and the people who are going to keep things uh you know running so that way our customers stay happy because the longer the customer's happy you know it makes the biz dev guy's job easier as well yeah and in those environments when you're selling into these large accounts you're you know strategic bd person or however you you label that that's looking for the new big opportunities within existing clients yeah how do you how do you groom those people you hella assuming you're not hiring someone that's fully formed, but you are continuing to develop them. How do you train them with the sort of the requisite business acumen, curiosity, to be that person to sort of ask the extra question, to uncover those new opportunities, to have sort of the, you know, the situational awareness from a business perspective, say, oh yeah, this might be a good time to talk about this with this you know, particular client. Sure. So I think a lot of it is, um, and this would be true within almost any department, really, is 
that the people who are the most curious, um, who ask the most questions, are the ones who naturally gravitate to those types of roles. So when you're, it's not training the people on the particulars of this very complicated industry is just a standard procedure of part of the job. They need to learn uh, a whole list of acronyms. They need to know, you know, how our part fits into the whole ecosystem and things like that. But it's really noticing and keying in on the people who are curious, who are, you know, pushing the button, who are going the little extra mile to be able to, um, to be able to open up these opportunities. So it's really incumbent on the sales managers and their teams to notice that and then be open enough to be able to shift people into the right roles for the right accounts and to be open enough to be able to stick with your decisions when you do things like that. But do you, my point is, do you have part of your enablement or training regimen that, yeah, we well, you know, <laughs> We're going to make these people just smarter about business in general, right? Because their clients are huge, huge corporations for the most part. I mean, you know, one of the problems I see with sellers these days, and not necessarily in this environment that you're talking about, but is, you know, they don't know how to read a financial statement, right? I mean, right. you want your sellers to be able to be up to date on the latest SEC filings and all that to understand what's going on in, in your your client. So I was just wondering, your customers. So I was just wondering if you have training that that's sort of focused on, yeah, how do we just make them? smarter about business in general and and more aware or again you just assume they're going to come in with those that skill set i think most people come in with uh, some sort of skill set it's the type of people we're hiring who have come out of whether they come out of uh, other jobs or other programs that have given them that kind of acumen already um, a lot of people in the sales department you know either have engineering degrees or business degrees have you know a few years experience in you know in the working world in a similar environment so the the typical business acumen the problem solving uh, you know knowing how to actually use excel you know these are things that they come in <laughs> knowing pretty well it's more our job to teach them the unbelievableness of how a car gets made and how our products fit into that yeah, yeah. As you said, all the acronyms, which I'm sure they're. It's like selling to the defense industry. I mean, there's there's tons, right? I learn a new acronym practically every day. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. All right. Well, Ben, we've unfortunately run out of time, but uh, enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for joining us. So, if people want to connect with you, how would they do that? Sure. So the easiest way is just to find me at Hella. So you can email me at ben.cohen, C-O-H-E-N at Hella.com. Okay. Well, Ben, well, thank you very much and um, stay safe. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great talk. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I also want to thank Ben Cohen for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this podcast. And if you could also leave us a rating or a review and let us know how we're doing, We'd appreciate it. And you can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this podcast is over. So thank you most so much for investing your time to join us today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Mm-hmm.